Hello and welcome to Pod of the Damned presents Bucket List Horror, a brand new series of episodes where a different special guest will join us to lobby for a horror movie of their choosing to be included on Pod of the Damned's definitive list of horror movies that you should see before you die. This is episode number five of Bucket List Horror and this week we have not one but two very special guests on the show. Uh, we have Dave and Crystal from the House That Screams Horror Podcast. Dave, this is not your first time on the show, but it is the first time on the show for Crystal. So welcome on in. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Thanks, thanks for having us on. Yeah. No problem at all. Um, as I said, obviously, you guys both feature regularly on the House That Screams Horror Podcast, a podcast that I myself have guested on on several occasions. We've had yeah, many. A, we've had always many, a pleasure uh, when you're on. Yes, I think I've got my next one scheduled coming up relatively shortly i think i'm coming on for freddy's dead so oh wow <laughs> really well I, I was on i was on for your dream warriors episode and so when candy sent me the list through i was like right i have to go on for another elm street movie yeah that was a fun one dry we, we really enjoyed dream dream warriors that's a good one um so yeah I, I jumped at the i jumped at the chance to get back on for an elm street movie so <laughs> I think I'm coming back on from that. Um, for those who are familiar with Pod of the Damned, you will be very familiar with The House That Screams because we've had various members of your podcast on over the last couple of years. Candy's made several guest appearances on the show. And if you've been listening to The Bucket List of Horror, we've first two episodes were Nico Nice and Erica Wright, both of The House That Screams Horror podcast. Uh, Nico Nice obviously was on talking about American Werewolf in London and the episode that we released today at the time of recording, Erica Wright did Philosophy of a Knife, which was a really interesting discussion. I'm really glad she picked that as well. But Dave and Crystal have decided that we are going to be talking all about the 1977 uh, vehicular horror movie, The Car. Uh, just before we get into that, though, we'll quickly do our plugs. If you would like to support this podcast, you can find us on Twitter at Damn Podcast. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Pod of the Damned. Uh, Dave, I know you always have a ton of plugs when you, on your episodes. No, we're not. We don't. Yeah, we don't uh, Crystal, I don't really have any plugs except the house that screams. You can find us there. We don't really do. Oh, did you want to mention your? We, no, we, we just do. Dave always does, you know, you can find us and then I. I always say, wherever you find Dave, you can find me. It's kind of a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, that's awesome. Please, please, for anyone listening, go check out, if you haven't already done so, the House That Screams Horror Podcast. Or if you have already done so, go check them out again, because they are a truly awesome horror podcast. They've been yeah, with... we, have a lot of, we have a lot of fun with that crew. It's, it's kind of uh, controlled madness over there sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I think controls maybe even being a bit generous. Yeah, right. Yeah, sometimes... <laughs> Poor, poor candy sometimes has to reel us all back in. <laughs> Organized chaos. Yeah, I usually think, gun. I usually think that my show's quite chaotic and then sometimes I come on the house of screams and I'm like, oh it's it's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we like it though. Yeah. But please go check it out. The links to the House That Screams on our podcast will be in the description for this episode as well. So please, please go check that out. Right. Now that that's out of the way, let's get into the movie discussion. We are talking about the 1977 movie The Car. This was directed by Elliot Silverstein, stars James Brolin, Kathleen Lloyd, and John Marley. The IMDb plot is as follows. A small desert town is terrorised by a powerful, seemingly possessed car, and the local sheriff may be the one who can stop it. Uh, we'll quickly go through the critics' ratings and stats. So this has a 6.1 on IMDb, a 21 Metacritic score, 26%... Yeah, that's, that, that's unfair. <laughs> a 26% from the Rotten Tomatoes critics, and a 52% from the Rotten Tomatoes audience. You know what it is, though? Like, is I, I, I always... 
I've been really happy with some of the choices that everyone's made when they've come on to talk about their bucket list horror movie because I think for a lot of people out there and maybe maybe some fans who aren't so passionate about the horror genre when you're talking about horror movies you should see before you die they, 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 they think it should just be like the cream of the crop the 100 percents the 90 plus percents and also you know your super famous ones you know your your alien your halloween your the thing elm street these are their bucket list of horrors however whilst yes they obviously are classics and you know extremely popular for a reason it's movies like this you know that can really influence and define a genre um so i just want to get a quick overview really from you guys of, as to why you guys think this is a bucket list horror movie well, when you uh, reach out to us, we we first started talking about doing like the thing from another world. Yeah. We were gonna do, and then we we're like, you know what? Let's pick something a little bit maybe less well known. And right away, right, you turned to me and right away I went the car. Yeah. Because I think we had just watched it. We had just watched it uh, pretty soon before you uh, reached out to us, so it was kind of on our minds anyway. And uh, we wanted to pick something maybe a little different, something that maybe no one's seen or has never even heard of. Um, because I think this movie deserves uh, to be seen. It's not, you know, it's not a top 10, you know, classic horror movie of all time, but it's an interesting little uh, cul-de-sac down the the possessed uh, machinery subgenre that was kind of big for a while. You had Duel with Dennis Weaver. That was a Steven Spielberg's second directorial. I think so. Uh, actually, the script was written by Richard Matheson, which is interesting. And also, this movie, I think, owes a little bit to Jaws. It, it has a little bit of a Jaws feel with the, being stalked by the unseen yeah. Uh, it's just it's it's got an interesting vibe. It's certainly not perfect. We we, we <laughs> laugh at it. it. It's got a couple, you know. It's it's got it's got some bits in it that aren't perhaps great, but it's got it's it's I think overall it's a solid film. It's it's just an interesting uh, possessed uh, vehicle film. Remember we had Killdozer, classic with Clint Walker, uh, and Duel. I'm trying to think of other possessed machines. Stephen King wrote Christine. a story about a possessed uh, dry cleaning machine. So you know. <laughs> yeah, you're talking uh, possessed card. You got Christine as well, which is obviously right. You know, again, yes, Stephen Spielberg again, or uh, Stephen King again. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I feel bad for this film. I don't think it gets enough love. You? Yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, for uh, all that this movie is and has, uh, the plot holes are there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I was talking about that with Dave when we we just rewatched it right before this. Um, but it, it was something that was kind of off the beaten path, something a little quirky and something that, you know, people may not be familiar with. And it stars James Brolin. James Brolin and his 70s porn stash. Yeah. <laughs> I wish, I could, I wish I could grow a porn stash like that, to be honest. No, it's, it's, it's glorious. Yeah, it, it's just, it's like a regular mustache. And then it's got those little bits at the end. It's just like, I'm here, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it need to be trimmed up. Yeah, it's, it's, but this movie just reeks of the 70s. It's just 70s, 70s, 70s. You've got the relationship with James Brolin and his girlfriend. And like, there's a bit of a subplot at the beginning that she's tired of having to hide their relationship from his kids he's got two daughters uh, and that, that's an interesting thing to come out of the 70s back then i think divorce was a little bit more taboo like you almost had to like pretend you had never been married and so she's con the, the girlfriend's conflicted about letting the kids know that they're in a relationship which seems so quaint you know 40 something years ago and it's got that little bit of a subplot although they really don't they don't come back to it after that it's just at the beginning but we really don't come back to it this movie 
throws a lot of things at you and then just drops them completely. It's just like, you know what? We just got to car chasing people. Yeah, no, it's an, it is an interesting subplot because like you say, they, they obviously highlighted it at the beginning, but it's, it's kind of like as soon as uh, James Brolin's character finds out that his kids know about it, the subplot is there, therefore kind of dropped from then on in. But I, I, it is, I think it is quite progressive and ahead of its time in that way because as you said, it is, it's during a time where, you know, being a, a, an adult single woman and, and being um, divorced and et cetera, et cetera, was very much frowned upon. You know, it was still very much, you know, Christianity, you know, husband and wife and till death do us part sort of mindset, which is, you know, still prevalent in huge parts of the world. So, And she's got to sneak out in the morning before the kids are up, you know. But like you said, that we find out that the kids knew all along anyway. Well, they make so much fucking noise. <laughs> Wait, the, the, the kids are James Brolin. James Brolin and oh, they're, yeah, they're wrestling at the beginning. <laughs> Which kind they're of? They're not. They're not quiet. They're loud. She's yeah. kind of screaming. Of course, you're gonna wake up the fucking dead. <laughs> they, the kids know they're not dumb. <laughs> and I just want to say uh, before we move past it, the two daughters are played by Kim and Kyle Richard. Yes. They were actual sisters, and uh, the older one, the blonde one, has the Kim. Kim has the incredible distinction of having been in uh, Assault on Precinct 13. Mm-hmm. She's the little girl who gets shot in the chest at the very beginning of that movie, which, yeah. which I still say is one of the greatest shock openings of any 70s. I mean, listen, Assault on Precinct 13 is basically a horror film anyway. It's basically Night of the Living Dead just in a yeah. police station. She gets shot in the chest. I mean, that's uh, um, uh, what the director, I'm drawing a blank on his name, Carpenter? John right? Carpenter. That's John, that's John Carpenter's darkness story, man. He shoots a little, cute little blonde girl in the chest through her ice cream cone. Wasn't she holding the ice cream cone? Yeah. And it splats the ice cream. and it's a, So she's got that distinction, which is always one of my favorite scenes in any movie. That's, yeah. that's James, that's um, John Carpenter telling you what you're in for in this movie. <laughs> well, yeah, but then, um, so that's Kim, but Kyle gets the distinction of being a real housewife of Beverly Hills. That's right. She, she's a real housewife of Beverly Hills. <laughs> and they are Paris and Nikki Hilton's aunts. Yeah. Uh, you know what, when I was reading up on this movie and I was reading some of the trivia, I kept noticing in the trivia, Kyle and Kim Richards' names coming up and and it took me the longest time and I was like, what? Why, why the fuck are these people's names? Why are they being mentioned for this movie? It took me the longest time to click that they were the two little girls in this movie. <laughs> I was listening and like, every bit of trivia was like, Kyle and Kim Richards were also in da 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 directed by John Carter. And I was like, what, what, why do I need to know this? But yeah, it's, of course. And obviously, you know, Kyle Richards does have the distinction in being in my favourite horror movie of all time, which is Halloween. Right. And of course, the, the recent uh, trilogy as well. So... You know, I've always got a great affinity to her, but um, yeah, I'm afraid for me, Kim and Kyle Richards, I'm more familiar with them from Beverly Hills as well. <laughs> I remember uh, Kim in Escape from Witch Mountain. Those, yeah. are, those are some forgotten classics yeah, from, of the Disney. Yeah, foregone Disney days. Yeah, she was in that one in the sequel too. Those, yeah. I, I love those movies. I, I think Kim Richards also and, done a couple of the Sharknado movies as well now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> they're, they're definitely at the top of that filmography. <laughs> But um, but no, it's interesting as well. Just to take it back, because obviously we were talking about you know the sort of uh, the sort of controversy, if you will, about sort of divorce in the seventies and things like that this movie does make a big commentary on sort of gender role as well. You know, you've got um, I forget the guy's name, but the, essentially the the husband who's abusing his wife, Amos. Yeah. Amos, that's his name. Amos, you know, yeah. 
and it does make obviously comments on what gender roles were like at the time. Uh, there's a there's a line, and it's 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 not a funny line, but it's it's kind of a it's kind of a funny line, but obviously in a completely sick and twisted way where you know the the hitchhiker turns around to her and just be like, I, I don't think you should be hitting that lady, and he's like, what? That's my wife, as if to say, well that's okay then, you know, I can hit her because she's my wife, and you know. It, it does obviously make a comment on that as well with the police officer trying to save her and you know i think it's i think i think this film does go under the radar a little bit because it highlights quite a lot of really serious issues yeah it does it has a lot of social commentary in it and and it's kind of misogynistic in a way too yeah. <laughs> as were the 70s well that's it well, that's it, wasn't it? And and maybe maybe you know being a sort of product of its time has sort of harmed the longevity of this movie. You know, you said at the beginning there, Dave. You know, this isn't a a top ten movie, but I think when it comes to when we're talking about things like this and movies that we think everyone should see, as I was saying, it doesn't need to be a top ten movie for it to be a movie that that everyone should see to have that legacy. You know, you know, for as horror fans, you know, we sometimes love the really shit films a lot more than we love the really good ones so right. you know it, it's it's sort of got that going for it as well but i think as well you know just when you look at it in the pure horror you talked about it as well and one thing that i really noticed when um as i was saying to you before we came on air this was a first time watch through for me and what i was really shocked at when uh, this movie started is that we got the shining theme tune right at the very beginning yes <laughs> and i was sitting there i was scratching my head i was like that's the thing and obviously this came um before the shining so i say the shining the shining theme tune it is this one first um but that was a surprise for me a pleasant yeah one. that particular that particular uh, piece of music has been in a ton of movies mm. i've, I've uh, got them listed here um you know friday the 13th part six uh sweeney todd uh it was a part of it was in the rock close encounters uh, nine months before Christmas, it, it's it's used because it's such a sinister. It's like eight notes, but it's, it brings a very sinister, uh, ominous feel to it. Yeah, it's like a Gregorian chant, um, and I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but it's Diaz Ure uh, is the name of that. But it, it's used consistently in various films yeah. still today. Gives sort of again ominous, dark feel. Yeah, no. I think the shining, the shining is probably the most famous. That over that opening helicopter right. shot, yeah, those yeah. they slow it down a lot in the shining. It's slowed way down as opposed to this film where it's quicker. Yeah, but I think that quickness as well, it it, it does maintain that sort of ominous tone, and it, I think it sets the tone kind of perfectly for this movie because here, it, again, this unlike so many movies, you have this 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 villain, this car, and over the course of the movie, you you learn nothing about this car. You yeah, know? there really are, no, really are no answers. I think Ronnie Cox's character is the one to come closest to saying that it's evil about it couldn't go on hollowed ground, but really it, it, there, it, it doesn't care to explain itself and it really doesn't have to. No. no. In fact, even at the very end over the closing credits, you see the car cruising through LA. So the question, did it survive or is there another car? It doesn't really matter, you know? Well, that's that, that's that's it. It, does, it. it really doesn't matter. And it's because, you know, it has that sort of open end. It gives you no answers. Like you said, the only real sort of clue we're given to anything is the fact that it won't go onto hollowed ground. So to suggest that there is obviously some sort of supernatural vibe behind it, which we obviously guessed because we know there's no driver. But like you said, you've got that sort of open book ending as well, where you see it cruising through LA. But, you know, is this a thing that's infected 
infected, I don't know if that's the right word, but sort of multiple cars, is this the, is this one survived, it's sort of ending, but you know, we were talking about that sort of ominousness, if you will, of the, of the music, there's some really wonderful shots actually throughout this movie, um, and the one that sort of sticks out to me the most is when uh, the, the, they're doing the practice parade, and you've got the police officer just watching over the parade, and you can just see in the background the glisten of the the window of the car. And I think like, and there's there's quite a few different examples of various shots like that using this sort of desert openness. I the cinematography in general in this movie I think is is probably one of the biggest plus points of this movie. Yeah, and it's just such beautiful scenery. I guess it's Utah. It, yeah, it's Utah. Yeah, they, they use that glint off the chrome. There's also some long tracking shots of you just see the trail of dust. I think at the very beginning, it's you just see the dust at first. Mm -hmm. And it's this long, lingering shot of this dust trail. You know, you know something something wicked this way comes. Right. And then um, where it comes crashing through the house. I mean, the headlights far off make me giggle. But, you know, you see it there. You're just going to stand screaming on the phone and just get hit by it. I mean... Yeah, personally, I would have ducked. But. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also, as well, you know, because we talk about this and we talk about, you know, the sort of... Not, I don't want to say hilarity because, you know, it's, it's, it's like I say, the product of its time. And, it, and now that we are in, the, you know, 2023, it does kind of bring of a, oh, look at that, it was the 70s sort of funny vibe to it. But there is a, a real brutality about the kills that we get in this movie. You know, from those opening two bikers, you know, to the car driving through, you know, the, the, the house, there's something just kind of unforgiving about the kills in this movie. Yeah, that stunt. Well, how high was that bridge? We watched it. We watched a making up documentary the other day about this movie, and that that uh, fall that the guy does off of the bridge, the biker, the male biker, when he gets knocked off the bridge, that was like a couple 150 feet, 160 feet higher. Yeah, it was when I say really high. high. It was yeah, really high. it's a very impressive stunt. Yeah, and they had like a 40 foot square pad for him to land on, and he was saying that it that sounds like a big area but then when you're up so high and you look down it looks like a matchbox so that you're supposed to land on so i actually read about that stunt as well a part well what i read was that it was 196 feet oh, okay, it, no, no. it was yeah. also that stuntman's first ever jump yeah yeah imagine that I, I, yeah there's no no i'll take the zero thank I, you I mean, I, I don't think a, a stuntman is not a career for me. I'm going to stick to, you know, podcasting because I'm nice and safe inside my own house. Although if this car's told me, if this car, this movie's told me anything, you're not, you're never safe inside your own house. But um, yeah, I don't think stuntman, stuntman is, a, is a career for me. <laughs> but that, the, 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 my favorite part of the opening kills is after uh, the car drives off, you see the, um, the bridge, uh, the side of the, the, the paving stone sort of side of the bridge and that trail of yeah. blood along it where he scraped the girl up against it. That's pretty brutal, mm -hmm. you know, because you really don't see what, you just see her kind of go flying, but then it comes back to that bloody trail on the, and quite long trail of blood. It's like, ooh, that's kind of gross. And then also uh, the uh, hitchhiker guy, the guy with the French horn, we were laughing because when, uh, you know, it runs, runs him over back and forth a couple of times, uh, the coroner shows up and he's got like a trash bag and a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> I got very much uh, Donald Pleasant's vibes with the amount of times he said it ran him over four times. Four, four times! times. <laughs> yeah, this, this movie has a little bit of a mean sense of humor about it. Yeah. The, the, it's it, a little dark. Yeah, the car is enjoying its work. You know, it likes what it's doing. Yeah, like, and, and 
you know, we, we've obviously, you know, made the comparisons already between sort of this and, and some sort of John Carpenter work, but there does seem to be a bit of a Carpenter vibe throughout it, and we've, we've obviously highlighted that now a couple of times through various things. So it's always, I mean, I don't know if Carpenter took some sort of inspiration from this for some of his works, but there is there is definitely that sort of vibe there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, you, you can definitely... A wicked sense of humour to it. Yeah, and there's that sort of brutality and that sort of, like we say, that um, that villain and that just sort of, obviously it, it's, I, I always feel like it's maybe a bit difficult for this sort of subgenre of horror to, how, how do you make, you know, a car sinister? You know, it's 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 a car, you know, surely that's sort of something that's easily defeated, but obviously, um, you know, they put to work on creating this sort of special car. And of course, as well, this movie will have been made on a shoestring budget as well. Um, but I think they spent quite a lot of money sort of designing and creating, I think it was four cars they made for... Yeah, for yeah made by the movie. great George Barris, who um, was the, probably the most famous of all Hollywood car designers, right? He did, mm-hmm. uh, the, um, he did the, the, the Monsters, the, yeah. Bat, the Batmobile from the original TV show, um, what, uh, General Lee from uh, Dukes of Hazzard. He, yeah. Yeah, the most famous. He designed this car, too. And he did Kit. He, yeah, Kit from Knight Rider. Yeah, George Barris is legend amongst uh, Hollywood uh, car modifiers, um, and uh, they made he made four of these in what six weeks he took him to make these. Yeah, I think I read it was it was six weeks. Uh, they, and they're very it's very effective the way it's sort of squished down the the hood is, the roof is real low and squished and no door handles and that grill that that gleaming chrome grill that almost looks like a, a grinning mouth you know with teeth, um, the orange windshield that you know. There's some great effects they do when they show uh, a perspective shot from inside the car, like when the Brolin's shooting at it, and it's got it's so muffled, like yeah. like the inside of the car is almost otherworldly. Like when it's when you're inside there with whatever's in the car, you're just completely cut off from the outside world. I think that's a great effect. The fact that you shoot at it and miss no matter what, the car like can deflect bullets, I guess. Yeah, no, it, it definitely gives you this sort of like you say otherworldly, so I, you know just so contained within itself but the, the, like you said the, the the visuals of the car as well it does even just looking at it by himself it does just sort of give off this sort of mean vibe you know because they mean yeah mean is the word kind of you know, com- compact low to the ground almost yeah. like a, like an alligator just low and and, and nasty and yeah because I, I think i read they, they, they squished down the hood by a few inches and they push the sides up by a few inches as well so they're just sort of condensed on like you say you've got this big sort of chrome grill on the front as well i think they did a really a really great job but obviously you know you, you did kind of mention plot holes and issues with this movie this is like i say this is this is not a perfect movie um what, what, what sort of stands out for you guys in terms in terms of that is there anything that really sort of sticks out to you that that bothers you or do you think it kind of adds to the charm of this film you know, there's a thing that sticks out for me. I don't know if it adds to the charm, but <laughs> it is definitely a WTF moment. So when you get towards the end of the movie, before they go up to the cliff, and James Brolin is changing spark plugs on his motorcycle and goes back into his garage, boom, the car's in there with the door closed. Like, did it? tiptoe on its wheels in there did you not hear it at all where's the door open why is the door closed now and you're going to act shocked after you walk across in front of it and it creaks a floorboard how 
long did, did did the car look like the the one from Who Framed Roger Rabbit and sneak in there? Like I'm confused. Uh, his little tippy toes, you know, <laughs> trying to suppress a giggle while sneaking up on him. But I think, but I think so. So either you have to accept either it just teleports wherever it wants to be, which I think is hinted on in other points in the movie. The car just kind of shows up wherever it wants to be, or you know. You're, you're watching a movie about a, a demon-possessed car, so you've already paid your ticket. You know, you're, still, you're, on the, you're along for the ride already, so it's best not to ask too many questions. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think if, if when you go out with, you know, the, the, you know, the issues and the plot holes surrounding that specific scene as well, it is quite a, an intense scene. You, he comes into the garage, there's the car, and we've already seen this sort of carnage, this, this car. It, it, I think it's a nice change of pace because it almost gives this sort of quiet um i don't even know what the word i'm looking for is quiet sort of under underspoken just sort of vibe to it where you know this car has been loud and brash and it's been just tearing through people and destroying people in really really brutal and quite imaginative ways but it's also capable of this just sort of either like you say teleporting or you know we just have to accept that this is a really special car but it's capable of doing these kind of intelligent stalking ways to really sort of freak people out as well. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's fucking with him at this point. It just kind of shows up in his garage. Boom! Gotcha! And so it's it's definitely doing it on purpose. And it doesn't even... It, it just kind of wants to trap him in the garage, I guess, because he goes for the door and it kind of lunges at him and then it starts spewing exhaust fumes. I guess it's going to try to kill him that way. It's just totally messing with him. It's, you know... I mean, it could have easily run him over right away when he didn't even look at it, but it it's wants to play with his its prey... I think. Yeah, it's kind of cat-like in that, that scene. Okay, so... Um, oh, oh, one other thing I did want to mention as well. Um, what this movie does highlight to me is just the differences in the childhoods that people had when they were growing up, you know, in the 60s and 70s compared to now. You know, you've got that scene where they're playing hot shot, hot, uh, hopscotch and she's just like, right, now throw your rock. And I was just like, yeah, could you imagine? That's what you had back then was rocks. rocks. <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, I'm a 90s child. And even, you know, even I remember playing outside, which I don't think a lot of kids do these days. So, um, yeah, I think the idea of kids just sort of throwing rocks about is uh, definitely one that's starting to age a little bit. But, you know, I, I'd had it down there as well. You get that sort of first person view in the car. That was something that I'd really highlighted as being a big plus point in this movie as well you know it's just it's just it's a movie that on the outside seems ridiculous doesn't it you know it's 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 an absolutely batshit insane concept it's it's totally ridiculous it's totally out there i think i completely agree with you in the way that you know you kind of just have to buy your ticket for this movie but it was a first time watch for me and i have so much fun with it i really didn't know what to expect you know obviously i'd read like the synopsis and things like that so you know was kind of expecting you know a sort of christine style vibe which you know is probably the closest thing that i could relate it to just a quick question which who do you think would win the car or christine oh man i don't i don't know because they both well they never like christine you see it repairing itself um in this movie you don't ever really see the car get damaged at all so does that mean it it can't even be damaged that it needs to repair itself like when it rolls over that's a great kill in this one when it the two cop cars are coming at it and it turns, it suddenly turns sideways and goes barrel rolling over them. That's a great, that's a great kill. I think that's a really cool scene. And if you actually slow it down, you can see the car 
is actually coming apart when they shot it. You know, <laughs> yeah. it, this wasn't CGI. This was an actual car. They just, you know, put an explosive, yeah, flipped it over these other cars. But I think, I think the car would win because it doesn't seem like it can even be damaged at all. You never see it get damaged, so it doesn't need to repair itself. Where Christine can be, although, and then she can repair. So I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I think I think they would they would go up together happily like a couple, and they would, you know, they would they would kill people together. Maybe have little car babies. <laughs> yeah, right, right. The little, yeah, like little RC car. That's a whole. <laughs> yeah, uh, but no, I, I don't know who would win. I, who's more? Which one's more evil? Well, I think probably the car would win because there's no driver. It doesn't need a driver. It doesn't need anybody in it. You can just mow you down, drive through your freaking house like Burger King. Um, <laughs> Although in the, the book, Christine, Christine does drive through uh, Darnell's house. You know, in the movie, he ki kills him by squishing him up against the steering column. But in the book, it, it just it destroys his house, just like yeah. just like the car does in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, but then in Christine, you also have people getting in the car and actually driving the car. Yeah. Um, and yeah. There's just there's that there's that human element, isn't there? That, that kind of has to be there for Christine. I think it doesn't. Yeah, I want to see. I want to see like a demolition derby with these with Christine, the car killdozer. <laughs> um, I don't know the one from the Wraith. Remember that one, Charlie Sheen? See all these cars. He comes out, you know, like a Thunderdome. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd pay to see that. <laughs> yeah, five cars enter, one car leaves. Um, one of the other things that I did want to mention though, we, we we talked about you know that scene in the garage where. You know, it, the car can be quite quiet. And we've talked about the brutality of the scene, but there is that scene as well where it's sort of tormenting the women and children, uh, the teachers at the at the cemetery as well. And there's there's something quite intense about this scene because it goes on for a really long time. This is the the scene just sort of keeps going and keeps going and keeps going, and the car is just you know constantly spinning its wheels and blowing that horn in that sort of fashion apparently i think the horn spells out x in morse code i think i read that yeah somewhere. i read that um, yeah the car actually has a temper you can see that it's having a bit of a temper tantrum yeah. outside the, uh, the the cemetery it's spinning uh you know it, it's angry that it can't get in there yeah but i think there's something just quite frightening about that scene as well you know it's it's you know at the end of the day for for people you know we are we are you know really fragile things we're fragile creatures and cars you know are these big hunks big lumps of metal and you know if there was a car you know spinning around blowing dust making really loud noise being incredibly aggressive that could be quite frightening especially you know for small children as well so you know i think there's something quite intense about that scene that i think doesn't i think it hits a point that it doesn't really hit again at any other point yeah there's one scene where you see it turning donuts out in the desert i i not even sure why it was doing it. It was just sort of a, a passing shot, like it's just out there having fun, practicing, I guess. Right? Isn't there a scene where, where you just see the card spinning donuts out there for no reason? It's just having fun. I, 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 I think they give the car a lot of personality with without having to explain, is it being driven by the devil? Is it the devil? I think it just it just is. But I think that's an achievement in itself, isn't it? Because there is... How, how do you give something so much personality without giving us any explanation at all about what is driving it what is controlling it who is controlling it you know like to give it so much personality i think is, is is actually quite an achievement i think it would have if they tried to explain it it would have lessened it yeah. I, don't, I don't need an explanation yeah. stephen king is great at that putting you in a situation and not explaining the mist is a perfect example there's hardly any explanation for what is causing the event it just is and now you're there deal with right. it 
Yeah, I, I don't need an explanation for everything. Yeah, and the only thing we really get in this one is um, the Native American speaking Navajo, and she, you know, tells them there was no driver. Yeah, that's that's it. Okay. In fact, he said, doesn't the deputy say that that she said that they're taking their family and going deeper into the backcountry? Because yes. so they sense something evil is is coming. Absolutely. Yeah. That's it. That's that's really it, isn't it? That's that's all we get. All we really know is that, you know this car is 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 evil. There's no one inside it controlling it. There's some sort of evil force, spirit, whatever you want to call it, that, that that's driving it, and, and that's it. It's it's causing chaos. And it definitely holds a grudge. Yeah, it definitely does. And it definitely holds a grudge against James Brolin. <laughs> um, but we've kind of hit all the sort of major points that I wanted to cover. So I'll leave the floor open to you guys. Any other points about the car that you would like to raise? Plot points? Points about the movie? Trivia? Anything at all that you'd like to oh, raise? I just think, I, I, and I hate to sound like the old guy talking about CGI, like today this movie would be, you know, just a CGI fest. There's something about the physicality of the fact that you know they actually built this car. And there's some scenes where you can see it actually get damaged, like at the fairground when it comes out of the bleacher. You can see that the front uh, bumper gets bent up, you know, which that there's something about that it's real, the fact that they actually built this car. In fact, it, the one still exists in a private collection somewhere. I'd love to see it. Probably Jay Leno. I, I really just enjoy the, the, the fact that they built this car. It's, it's a real car. Uh, it's not CGI. It, it, is, it gets covered with dust, and then in the next scene, it's clean. You know, it, it, I just enjoy the, the realism of, of the fact that it's a real car. It's not an effect. Yeah, they did a version of this in 2019. We do not recommend that one. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed, to, it's supposed to be awful. <laughs> Absolutely atrocious. Yeah, I'm sure that was all CGI. Probably. Well, that's it. You know, you know, for me, I was in band and I was in marching band, so some of the band scenes kind of aggravate me. These kids ain't got their chops together. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and then the main lady's camel toes really sticking out there. Oh, yeah. Whoa, that was some. Yeah, seriously. Wow. <laughs> well, pants were tighter back then. They were. Wow. But. But then you've got like kind of the dust storm that comes up. Is that is the car making that dust storm come up and to freak out the and spook the horses and all of that? And you've got these kids who are not trained on horses or nothing, trying to drag the horses. And then all of a sudden you see as everybody's running and the horses are stampeding, you have a sheriff's deputy try to walk through the horses and gets trampled. What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> yeah, you would think they've been used to horses. <laughs> right. Like, you know, everybody's running and you see a bunch of stampeding horses. And, oh, I think I'm just going to walk straight in front of them. What could possibly no. go wrong? <laughs> right. And there's also something about cars exploding. <laughs> like in the 70s, apparently, gasoline was much more explosive. Like that one cop car, it just rolls over once and burst into a huge fireball. I, cars didn't explode that easily, I don't think, even back <laughs> in the 70s. You know, maybe that was leaded gasoline. It's, sorry, <laughs> it's, it's like that scene in American Psycho, isn't it, when Christian Bale fires one shot at the car and it explodes and he just looks right. at, at his gun. You know, it's, it's a bit like that. But that, that, you actually raise another point with that, that scene again, with that parade scene, you know, about it whipping up this sort of storm there does it does seem to have some sort of control over the elements as well doesn't it which just sort of adds this extra layer of you know intensity and, and fear that this car can do it's almost like this car can, can do 
pretty much anything it wants because it has that level of control as well. So I think that just adds another layer to it, doesn't it? Right. Yeah, well, the, well, the opening, the opening um, text scroll at the beginning, it says something about the hot winds of hell. So, you know, yeah, it, 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 it's like a premonition that something's coming. Awesome. Uh, which, they, which they stole from the omen. I think they were mugging the omen there because um, <laughs> remember the omen has a little opening text crawl right. out of uh, supposedly out of the Bible. So they, they were obviously, hey, if you're going to steal, steal from the best. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't get much better than the omen. That's that's still a top five movie for us. Um, yeah, we covered that two weeks. We covered that two weeks ago, I think. Two weeks ago. Yeah, the house. Yeah, you, on you, the house you, 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 um, you were on to talk about the omen with us, weren't you, David? That was that was the episode. That's right. That's you, that's you one that I picked. That's, yeah, that that's 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 a top five. Yeah, that, that's part. that's that's still that's a top five movie for us. So, um, you you picked well. But uh, yeah, and anything else from you guys before we give sort of closing thoughts. Uh, just uh, as a point of reference, the, uh, the actor John Marley, who plays the police chief who gets run down on the road, <laughs> is uh, the movie producer from The Godfather who winds up with the horse head in his bed, which is always fun. So I, I enjoy seeing him in anything. <laughs> Even in this sort of bizarre role where he's uh, sort of... I, I mean, I'm, I'm sort, are we led to believe they're sort of high school sweethearts, The him and the... Oh, well, he says, he's, he, he, yeah, like they were friends. I don't, I, I guess they allude no, to that. Well, yeah, they allude to that because then he says something of like she was the first. So, yeah, he did. Yeah, maybe high school sweethearts. Yeah. And that's my one, I, I, one complaint I wanted to lodge against this film is that Amos, the, the wife of using Jackass. With he, the dynamite. He actually gets a bit of a redemptive arc and yeah. he really doesn't deserve it. I really don't want him to, I wanted him to die. I, it, it's, you know, he beats his wife and his kid, and he's just a complete jackass. He's racist and just awful drunk. And then at the end, he kind of gets this little kind of winking acknowledgement from the other cops that, you know, you did a good job. He doesn't. He didn't deserve that. No. He didn't yeah, deserve... I, I mean, I can. He definitely didn't deserve that, and it, it is a shame that you know, because re- I mean, he's probably the one character in this movie that you're you're desperate, aren't you, to see get completely mown down by the car and they've given them this redemptive arc i don't know maybe if they were trying to go for this whole sort of well you know we we all it's everyone against the car sort of thing where it doesn't matter what you've done we all have to be stand together in this fight against the car which you know he they should have just thrown him to the wolves really (laughs) yeah i would have enjoyed they should have let him just fall off the cliff i would have enjoyed that better yeah but uh but no um so we'll, we'll jump into final thoughts you know like as i said earlier this was a first time viewing for me i had a very very limited idea of what was i was to expect from this movie uh, like i said i said earlier the closest thing that i could sort of compare it to to try and sort of give me some sort of expectations with christine i have to say i, I mean christine's a great movie as well i don't th- i don't know if i i don't know which one i would prefer to watch to be honest i think this this movie is va- is 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 criminally underrated despite obviously you know some of the plot holes that we've mentioned and a couple of the flaws but i think i think you know it's a movie i think was slightly ahead of its time it's got a lot of social commentary i think it's a movie that just isn't taken seriously enough you know it's it's, it's it does have things to say this movie and and you know, it, it, it clearly is, it's clearly been an inspiration, an inspiration to some other sort of film directors. We mentioned a lot of Carpenter there as well. You know, there's definitely, there's definitely something there. I think it's definitely a movie that people need to go out and watch if they haven't already done so. And then combining that with the fact that I actually think this is, this is a pretty mean, brutal, 
but almost darkly funny kind of movie as well. It's got it's got a lot of strings to its bow. This movie for me, so um, I definitely think it should be included on our bucket list. Of yeah, I think every bit every horror fan should watch this one at least once. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts from you guys before we head on out? Um, yeah, for me, you know, this is probably maybe top 20. If I were to describe it to someone or like say, hey, you really should watch this. It's a movie you really don't have to pay close attention to. You can, you know, kind of have it on and kind of watch and unwatch and, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, do do other things while you're watching it. Um and it's, but, it's only 97 minutes long, so yeah. it's not, it doesn't overstay its welcome. Yeah, it's finally a movie with a Brolin that's under three hours. <laughs> Is there so, such a thing as too much Brolin? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Mr. Barbara Streisand, he sticks out in this one. He's carrying the weight of this movie on his shoulders. He's got perfect hair and that mustache. It's just gorgeous. <laughs> but no, Feathered and um, perfect. <laughs> But no, I completely agree with you guys. Um, I was really pleasantly surprised with this movie, so I'm very, very glad that you guys have chosen it to add to our bucket list of uh, bucket list of horror movies. It becomes the fifth movie on our list, and it joins an American Werewolf in London, Philosophy of a Knife, Midsummer, and Audition. So we have a very uh, we have a very mixed mixed list at the minute. I'm really happy because you know one <laughs> when I was when I did start doing this, I was worried that everyone was, as I said earlier, just going to pick those sort of absolute all-time classics that everyone's heard everyone speak about for about 16 million times on 16 million different podcasts but we you know everyone's everyone's really really says really stuck to the task and has made this a really sort of mixed list of some very interesting titles there and i think the car definitely deserves to go right up yeah if you, if you only see one movie about a car running people over in the utah desert it should be this one <laughs> <laughs> well with that being said dave crystal thank you so so much for joining me on this week's episode i really appreciate coming on very happy to have you back on dave crystal I've been dying <laughs> to get you on uh, for a while now so you know I've, I've been filling in i've been filling in uh the, the sort of last of the house that screams hosts i just had uh you and erica left to go so i'm, I'm very yeah, there's glad. a lot of us I, i've been working my way through and obviously you know you've had people come and go over the years as well and so i i've i've had you know candy on several times sean's done a couple of appearances dave you've obviously been on before um you know so we we had uh rob and and others on before as well so yeah no absolutely delighted to finally get you on the podcast and of course you guys as always welcome back anytime we'll get you back on for a main episode at some point in the future as well. yeah and when yeah. so we'll be we'll be seeing you for uh friday the 13th movie uh, freddy's dead, dead. Freddy's yes dead. yes i'll be back on the house that screams horror podcast talking all about freddy's dead probably once again with toothpicks holding my eyes open by the end of it due to the <laughs> fact that we the time of recording means we usually finish around 3 a.m. over here, but that's Ugh. that's fine, that's fine. I, I work nights anyway, so it's no big deal to me. Um, but no, I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, yeah, just as before we go out, do you want to just remind everyone about the, the House of Screams horror podcast, where it can be yes, found? Yes, we, are, we are regulars on the House of Screams. We are a fun bunch. We, ha we have a good time. We wouldn't do it uh, Crystal, I wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun. Um, we like to have fun with it. We, if you've listened to, to that show, you know that we often go, the whole crowd of us go off on these just incredible tangents, particularly if the movie sucks. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll spend an hour talking about our cats or something. <laughs> which is always fun. You, 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 well, 
yes, it, it, you know, it's a lot of fun. You just go on a lot of tangents, but you know, you just have some really, really awesome debates as well, and some, some, some really good proper debates as well. You know, sometimes you listen to podcasts and things, and you know, people seem to have forgotten the art of actually debating and and talking about horror movies, and it's something that's something that's, that I think is really, really excellent about the House of Screams Horror Podcast. So. Yeah, we love doing it, and thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks. So up next on the show, it is Candy's turn to join us for Bucket List Horror. Uh, she is going to be talking all about Maniac. Uh, would she, oh, choo- yes. would she choose any other movie? <laughs> no, that, 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 that uh, is an excellent choice. Uh, so she's going to be on to talk about Maniac. Don't forget to check out our other shows that we do, our main show. Uh, at the time of recording this, uh, we've just released our newest episode, all about an all-time classic. We've mentioned him a few times with John Carpenter's The Thing. It's our latest main episode. But also check out at the time of recording the latest bucket list horror episode that we just released that also features another House That Screams member, Erica Wright, talking all about philosophy of a knife. Uh, but check back on some of the other ones that are as well. We've got Nico there doing American Werewolf in London. And still to be released, although when this episode is released, they will be released. We've got horror author LRJ Allen talking all about Midsummer, And we've got Timothy Mills of the Horror Flicks and Guitar Picks podcast talking all about auditions. So check those out as well. Uh, once again, Dave, Crystal, thank you so, so much for joining me on the show. And until next week on the Pod of the Damned, just remember, you're damned if you do. And you're damned if you don't.